Yes, Jesus, you are holy. You are worthy. We sing your praises this morning. Be lifted high on the praises of your people so that you may be glorified because of your obedience to death on a cross. We thank you that now you are our firm foundation. We can stand upon you in trials, in temptation. Just as those who've gone before us, those whose faith we've seen and whose mistakes we've seen along the way, and yet who are commended for their faith. Give us faith and give us praise. We thank you that you're moving in our midst through your Holy Spirit now at work in our hearts. We pray that you would continue now as we hear your word. We pray for Pastor Rick. Give him wisdom. Give him a tenderness for us. Your sheep, your people. Give us ears to hear, hearts to hear your word. And through your Holy Spirit, enable us to obey it. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. We're so glad you're here today. We are, we are grateful that you joined us in a time of worship and a time of study. We're going to open up God's Word right now. We're in a Hebrews 11 study. God is giving us examples of people who trusted His words. I'm not sure you caught some of the words of the last song. But this last week, I had a privilege to do a funeral of a believer. And this was one of the songs that we played. But as I look at Hebrews 11, I start to think of those heroes of faith. That someday, I am going to be with. And not because I live a stellar life, but because I put my faith in Jesus. And you start thinking of, of all these saints who have gone on before us. 
And you start to get goosebumps. You see, in this text, God defines faith as uncompromising confidence in his word. The type of faith that God is pleased with is when we bank on his promises, even when they don't make sense, or we don't see the ex- or experience the fulfillment. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac all demonstrated this type of faith by believing in God's promises in his word. Today, we're going to look at Jacob. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can come boldly into your throne room, that we can share with you our hearts, our desires, our frustrations, our confusion. You are king, but you also are dad. And, and we get to talk to you, the creator, the God of gods. We pray this day, Father, for the turmoil in our world. We think especially of Israel. We pray, Father, that the Jews and the Muslims would see Jesus as Messiah. We pray even now that the atrocities would be judged quickly, Father. We pray for strength and protection for the victims. We ask you, Lord, that you would comfort all who mourn, who are suffering loss and in pain. Father, I pray that your church, the church, would be salt and light here and there, and that you would raise up an army, a compassionate army, to care and to love and to represent you well. Ultimately, Lord, we pray for peace, which will only come when they have a relationship with Jesus. We pray all these things would be used to point them to you. Lord, we think of the other churches in our area. I I know, God, that that there are so many churches that love you and desire to obey you. I pray for Grace Point. I pray for New Hope, and I pray for Orchard, the McHenry Orchard. And we'll pray for all the orchards, Lord, but, but the McHenry Orchard right now is, well, they have a team in Haiti. And they're training hundreds of pastors right now. We pray you would go before them, that you would give them the ability to encourage really a whole island. Lord, we think of Tanya and Haley Hill who are traveling and are in Kenya. We know, God, that that the culture is different, but they're going, representing you and representing us and and blessing three of our missionaries. I pray you be with them and give them strength. I thank you, Father, for the fellowship time that we had as a church last night, for the fall fest where where we're able to gather together, enjoy each other's company, make new friends. I also would be remiss if we didn't thank you for the way 
the well was fixed right here in our church. Father, for years we have been struggling with water issues. And just this last week, we had fresh, bubbling water. Lots of it. I just have been walking around, turning on faucets. I am so grateful, God, for for these little things, these big things that you do for us. I pray also for the kids downstairs, for their teachers, that they would be able to proclaim gospel and teach each one of them who you are, that they would leave excited knowing more about you and your love for them. God, we have an amazing text again today. We pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and and that we would learn, we would be convicted. We would leave here different people because your spirit, which teaches us and guides us and strengthens us, does just that. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you have Bibles or a flat screen, turn to Hebrews 11. But I want to warn you, we are going to shoot through about a million chapters in Genesis. Now, we know there's not a million chapters in Genesis, but but we're going to go through a lot of that. So if you have your Bible, we're going to shoot back there in just a moment. But we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. You can follow it along on the screen if you don't have your Bible or flat screen with you. Hebrews 11, verse 21. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Now this verse applauds Jacob's faith, but it's cryptic. Let's look at the story behind this verse, which is covered literally from Genesis 27 through Genesis 48. So thumb back there, if you would. We'll start at Genesis 28. But let me again just catch us up. Last week, we spent some time in Genesis 27, where we heard how Jacob was deceived by Isaac. Well, once that happened, we learned last week that his brother Esau was very upset with him, threatened basically to kill him. So Jacob runs from Esau to Uncle Laban. Again, this is going to be a lot of history, and and it's all found in the Scripture, and love to have you perhaps read each one of these stories um, thoroughly. But he leaves his home to go to Uncle Laban, and and this is a little bit odd for our culture, but basically to find a wife, all right? On the way, he stops at a place called Bethel, and this is his first encounter with God. He lays down, he's sleeping through the night. In Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 13, let me start reading for you. 28, 13. Jacob had a dream. And this was his dream. At the top of a stairway stood the Lord. 
And, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, Jacob, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I promise giving you everything I've promised you. First encounter, promise again. He's heard this promise. His father gave him this promise. But it's the first encounter. You would think at least at this time, Jacob would get a little more excited. We don't know how he received this technically. He seemed to be a little bit confused. But after he heard this, he continues his journey, and he arrives at Laban's house, his uncle, and stays there for 20 years. The next two chapters in Genesis tell us of Rachel and Leah and the saga where Jacob basically got the taste of his own medicine and was deceived. Some of you know the story, but he worked seven years for Rachel, his wife. And, and, well, in the course of the celebration, he ended up with Leah as his wife. Well, he was deceived. He was upset. He didn't want to marry Leah, but now he was married to Leah. So he worked another seven years and worked for Rachel. Well, the bottom line there is that his family began to grow. And he flees at the end of about 20 years because he hasn't been treated very well by his father-in-law, but he leaves a really rich man. Lots of livestock and a large family. Now, God encounter number two happens when Laban pursues Jacob. Again, Jacob left. He wasn't announcing it. He took all of his possessions and his family, and, and he took off. Laban found out a few days later, and he began to pursue Jacob. It's going like, what's the deal? Why are you running? And in Genesis chapter 31, starting at verse 23... Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country. But previous night, God had appeared to him, to Laban, and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. So God came to Laban, basically protects Jacob at this time. And they have this conversation. And it goes back and forth, and Laban's hurt, and Jacob's trying to justify all of his actions. But eventually they come to peace, and they depart. But right before they depart, we see a little bit of Jacob's faith here in chapter 31, verse 53. And this is 
what the scripture says. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father, Isaac. There was a little faith there. He was grateful that God protected him. He took this oath and promised to take care of his family. Well, as I said, they leave in peace. But Jacob is leaving, and on his way home, he encounters God for a third time. He actually is going home, and he wants to mend the relationship with Esau. Remember, he had left 20 years before. Esau was so upset with him, wanted to kill him. And he thought, whoa, if I'm going back home, I better make peace. We better work on this. Well, in these scriptures, you're going to find out that Esau was coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. (laughs) Jacob heard about this. And in Genesis chapter 32, again, we're flying, folks. Okay, so, so hang on here. In Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 24. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 32, starting at verse 9, all right, he knows 400 of Esau's men are coming. This is what he does. Then Jacob prays. Maybe at this time he was shouting out to God. Oh, God, of my grandfather Abraham and, of my, and God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, you told me. Return to your own land and your relatives. And you promise me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except the walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too much to count. Jacob basically says, you you promised You said this. You said I'll be with you. You said you're going to protect me. What are you going to do when these 400 guys come? Well, at this moment, although he's praying, he's not too confident. His faith is a little bit wavering at this moment. And what he does, and you're going to see in the scripture, he divides his family. He puts them in two different spots, hoping that if Esau comes, he'll just wipe out half of them. All right? He returns to the camp alone. So he's got his two families in two different places. He comes back to where he originally was in Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 24. One of the oddest things that happened. Let me read. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came. And wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. 
Your name is no longer to be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. And he said, I have seen God's face, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of his injury to his hip. The scriptures tell us that he wrestled God. You can also find this in Hosea chapter 12. But really, you read this story and you go, what just happened? A guy walks into camp. And normally, you have a conversation. Normally, you invite him for a cup of coffee. Normally, I don't know what you do normally back then. Maybe he's scared. But these two guys go to it. They start wrestling, not for 10 minutes, not for 15 minutes, all night long. The wrestling. Now, to be honest, we know that this is God in human form. And I don't think God came to wrestle. But apparently, something was said. Jacob didn't like it. And he started to wrestle with God. I am pretty sure he probably didn't know it was God in the beginning. But he wrestled. And at the end, God wins him over. It's amazing because at the end, he's clinging to God. You know, you have to stop right here. I wondered, Jacob, what's the confusion? God told you he's going to take care of you. You're not really believing him so well. You're dividing up the families. Hey, Jacob, why don't you listen to God? It seems like, at least in a little bit of history, that Maybe God came to convince him again. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, it doesn't seem like it. Maybe that's when the wrestling happened. I I don't know for sure. But what I do know for sure is that at the end, he wouldn't let go until he was blessed. I'm wondering today if any of you are wrestling with God. Any of you are are struggling with what God's asking you to do or with parts of his word. And we don't exactly have the faith that he's going to come through and we wrestle with God. But if we stay with him and we cling to him, He's going to remind us over and over that his word can be trusted. The limp always reminded Jacob of the match. 
He was given a new name at this time. Instead of being called Jacob and having the reputation of being a deceiver, he was now called Israel. And I look at this story again and just overwhelmed by God's grace. Why did he take time? Why did he make an effort? Especially if he knew Jacob was going to respond this way. But he did. Now, God encounter, we keep moving in his life, again, spending, uh, going through lots of chapters here. God encounter number four happens when he leaves Esau. So actually, they meet Esau, or, or Jacob meets Esau. His brother is so gracious to him. They exchange some kind words, and even Esau wants them to come and live with him. And, and Jacob says, no, no, that's, that's not going to be necessary. But they depart, and when they depart, in Genesis chapter 33, verse 20, as they leave, verse 20, and there Jacob built an altar and named it El Elohi Israel. Wow. So he was done. He saw God's blessing. He 400 guys didn't chop up his family. He is just so grateful to God. He's growing in his faith. But this is not the part that God is applauding, at least at this moment. Then God tells Jacob, and and we're going to get to it, I, I promise, okay? But God tells Jacob to move to Bethel, where encounter number five happens. And it's in Genesis chapter 35. If you could turn there. Genesis 35. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and go to verse 3. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there. To the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Hey, I want you to start off right. I want you to move. I want you to begin to worship me. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourself. Put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. He's starting to believe this. He's recognizing again, hey, we have to be clean. We have to be pure. We're going to worship God. Get rid of all the things that are hindering you right now. I'm starting to think that maybe God really is a God of his word. I, I saw my folks believe that. I've said that over and over and over again. I think maybe this may be happening. If you go down a little bit later in chapter 35 to verse 9. Verse 9. Now that Jacob had returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God's not giving up on him. He's not there yet. God blessed him saying, your name is Jacob. But you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai. 
God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will give you a land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house from God, because God had spoken to him there. This is still not the faith that God's applying or, or the plotting. He's growing. God continually is faithful. This is such an amazing story. A short while later, though, Rachel, one of his wives, dies in childbirth. So now we find Jacob living in Canaan, the promised land, in Genesis chapter 37. And so many of you know this story because it begins to tell of one of the most dysfunctional families in all of the Bible. In Genesis 37, we're introduced to Joseph. And we're going to spend some time next week looking at the faith of Joseph. What a young man. What a hero. All right. But we're not going to go there now. But, but you do know some of the story. And for our sake, I'm going to skim some things. But, but Joseph is 17. We learn a little bit about him. We learn that he's a little bit of a tattletale. Uh, maybe he was a goody two-shoes. Or, or I'm not exactly sure of the right term. But his brothers didn't always shall I say, travel the straight and narrow. And so Joseph had a reputation of going home, telling Jacob, hey, I just want you to know, you know what Simeon's doing? Oh boy, you know, and so on and so forth. We also find out that Joseph became Jacob's favorite. And he was given a coat of many colors to signify to everybody around how much of a favorite he was. And then Joseph starts dreaming dreams. We know they come true, but they came across pretty harsh to his brothers. Uh, by the way, guys, uh, you're going to bow down to me. The brothers were fed up. The brothers were angry. They wanted to literally kill Joseph. But what they did is sold him as a slave. Thirteen years after arriving as a slave... Joseph becomes Pharaoh's number two man. You know the story, so many of you, but Jacob sends his sons to Egypt for food. And eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and sends for his family. Now, here's where we start. You say, you know what, Rick, that was absolutely the longest introduction in the whole world. I understand. But we will never get this verse unless we understood what I just kind of shared with you. 
So if you would, turn a little bit later to Genesis chapter 45. Because here it is. It's been about 20 years. All right? And Jacob hears that his son is alive? Genesis 45, starting at verse 26. The brothers are there. Joseph is still alive, they told Jacob. And he's governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry them in their All of a sudden, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob exclaimed, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go see him before I die. Well, 130-year-old Jacob encounters God for the sixth time on the way to Egypt. In chapter 46, verse 1, God is not done with Jacob. God is gracious to Jacob. God is reminding Jacob over and over and over again of the promises. Chapter 46, verse 1, so Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac, During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. He's not letting them just go blindly. Jacob, Jacob, he calls. Uh, Here I am, Jacob replies. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid to go down into Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt. But Joseph will be with you when you close your eyes. So Jacob left Beersheba and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives and the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all their personal belongings that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Remember, he was in the place that God had promised him. He was leaving that place with all of his possessions. He had to start doubting again. He knew he wasn't this young spring chicken. God, I thought you said I would be in Canaan. I thought you said that there will be so many of my offspring. God, I I thought you did. So God says, I'm going to meet you again. I'm going to reassure you again. And I'll tell you, after 20 years, Jacob finally meets Joseph. Chapter 46, starting at verse 29. All right? Don't get too excited because these are two weird verses. Okay? 20 years, finally finds out he's alive. Verse 29, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. 
That makes sense, right? <laughs> Never thinking he'd see dad again. This is, this is amazing. And you would probably think, and Jacob did the same thing. Look what the scripture says. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I am ready to die. Since I've seen your face again and know you're still alive. Are you, are you serious? Like what's Joseph's reaction? Hey, dad, excuse me. That's what you're going to tell me? I'm ready to die. We're seeing a little bit, I think, of a bitter old man at this time. God has been faithful over and over and over and over and over and over and over reminding him. He goes, okay, I guess this is it. I'm just going to die. Oh, just let me remind you, Jacob's response feels off at best. Jacob is still not applauded for his faith here, not in back in Hebrews 11 where we started. Then Jacob, and this further proves it, Jacob is introduced to Pharaoh, all right, the mightiest man on the planet at this moment in chapter 47, verse 9. So Pharaoh asks him basically, hi, big J, all right, how you doing? How old are you? And this is what Jacob replies, verse 9. I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Again, you look at this. If, if I could even retranslate some of this, what ba- basically Jacob is saying is, I have lived 130 hard, evil, painful, sad, unhappy, depressing. That's what the word means, all of that. Years. Will you ask me how I'm doing, Pharaoh? Well, you know what? Life stinks. I don't like it. It hasn't been good to me. Life is short. And I have some regrets. Of course Jacob has regrets. His whole life was self-focused, sprinkled with God encounters along the way because God is gracious, never totally embracing it. Jacob found life in his kids. Jacob found life especially in Joseph and in Benjamin. It almost felt like he lived his faith through his parents. But here's where it gets good. Jacob then settles in Egypt. And something happens 17 years later. All right? They move to Goshen. And I think he ends up this bitter man and moves in. And, but something changes in those 17 years. I think he sees God's grace and understands all of the promises of God. I think he's finally believing God. 
Now it starts at Genesis chapter 47, starting at verse 29. At the time of his death, so he moved at 130, he's about 147, he's about ready to die at the time of Jacob's death. He called for his son Joseph and said, please do me this favor. Place your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring my last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, take my body out of Egypt and bury it with my ancestors. That would be back in Canaan. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. Swear that you will do it, Jacob insisted. So Joseph gave his oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. He's starting to see this. He's starting to believe it. It's so important. He wants, hey, Joseph, hey, just make sure this happens. I know my family's going to be there now. There's no doubt. I have hope. And he bows actually to Joseph, but he's trusting God and worshiping God. Then Jacob calls Joseph's sons to him. And in Genesis chapter 48, starting in verse 3, Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived, they will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. Then he blesses the sons. In chapter 48, starting at verse 15, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name, the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout all the earth. And then down in verse 20. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with his blessing. The people of Israel will use their names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. We may not totally get this, but what Jacob is doing. He says, I'm going to adopt your sons as my own. They will receive the inheritance, the blessings, the promise of God. We don't even have a land right now. And technically, your sons are going to be pretty well off. They're probably princes of Egypt at this moment. 
They've got a lot of stuff going on. But you know what's going to even be greater than that? What's going to be greater than that is you're going to be part of my family. And you're going to be part of the heritage. And God's promise is going to come through. And I want you to know Joseph. I want you to know that your sons are going to be part of the promise. Can you believe this? 17 years later, he's saying, hey, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, this didn't sound like Jacob. He has now reflected all those years in God's faithfulness, and he is so convinced that God is going to be honoring his word. And then Jacob's last words. Chapter 48, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I am about to die. Listen to this. But God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. Totally different. He had heard it before. He did. He heard the stories. God met with him over and over at least six recorded times. And now he is about ready to die. He's encouraging his son. I just want you to know. I want you to know God's going to come through. I have no evidence of it at this moment. We're living in Egypt. All right. But God's going to come through. And I also want you to know, God's never going to leave you, Joseph. Never. So let's look again at Hebrews 11, verse 21. It was by faith, the faith that God applauds, the faith that says, I am going to bank on your words, God. I'm going to trust you. When he was old and dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. You see, today we learn from another unlikely hero. Jacob pleased God because of his faith. Here's some things, some takeaways I think we can learn from Jacob. First of all, God never stops working. Circumstances may look like he isn't working. God may seem like he's not up to his word, making sure all of the promises are coming true, but God never stops working. God is gracious and just. God will judge. You see, we don't get away with sin. Sometimes as we've been looking at these heroes of faith, we wonder, what is going on? But God is gracious and God is loving and he honors us when we trust in him. God is just in perfect timing. And there's no doubt that We need to confess sin. There's no doubt that ends don't justify the means. God is not honored at all 
when we take things into our own hands. But I love the promise that he's given us if we confess our sins in 1 John. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the way God gives second chances and third chances and, well, 50 chances. What a blessing. Nothing we deserve. And lastly, God applauds faith. God applauds faith. Knowing and trusting God's word. We saw it back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. His word is true. He is faithful. We can bank on his word. How amazing that God cares that much about you and me. You see, Jacob trusted God to keep his promise. Even when he neared death, he blessed his sons and anticipated what God would do in the future. As I shared with you at a a funeral of a believer this last week, and almost the whole time, I gave scripture after scripture after scripture about the hope that every believer has. There was mourning. There was sadness in the room. But there was also this confident hope that not only we will see our loved ones who know Jesus again, but we will be part of eternity. It's not here yet. It isn't. And I guess we'll never know until we shut our eyes. But that's God's word. And this is God's pleasing faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us. And we thank you for your word. Your word that teaches us, your word that gives us hope, your word that transforms us. Lord, there's so many times we look around and we fail to believe you. Father, we thank you for the grace you gave Jacob, but we thank you for the grace you give us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to